If you have your Bibles, we're going to ask you to turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to look in the 18th Psalm. Um, and we're fastly approaching Thanksgiving. Y'all know it's next week. Today's the first day of this week, so it's next week, right? Uh, it's, it's right here upon us. And next week will be a Thanksgiving message, but in, in thinking of that, and thinking of Thanksgiving, we want to focus our thoughts today on, on being thankful for making it through. Being thankful for making it through. If you're looking in the, first, in the 18th Psalm, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon stated this. The Christian life should be one of thankfulness to God. You know, with everything that we face in this life, I'm finding the, the longer I live here, the, the more difficult it is to, to go through this life without facing opposition. Our opposition comes in many forms. It comes from people opposing us. It comes from trials and temptations to physical limitations to illness to depression, to grief, to guilt, to loneliness, to anxiety. But not only those, we, we also face spiritual opposition. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 6 to 12, Paul stated that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. He's, he's reminding us there that our battles and our opposition in this world are spiritual. In nature, if you get to the root of every problem every individual has in this world, no matter what the problem may be, it's a spiritual problem. If we get to the root of it, we are we all those of us who are believers, as well as those who are far from God, we all face opposition in this world. We can't get away from it. King David's life, the greatest king. Throughout the history of Israel, his life was characterized by opposition. He was a man of war. He was a man who battled lions and bears. He was a man who was known for his, his greatest battle to be between him and a nine-foot giant that we called Goliath. He was also opposed by King Saul. He was opposed by his own family. He was opposed by his sinful nature. King David's life was filled with opposition. But in this psalm, the king, he expresses his thankfulness to God for bringing him through all his opposition. When we look here in this psalm, we're going to turn our attention today for our reading on verses 1 through 6. But I want you to stay with me throughout this message. We're going to look in verses 1 through 19 throughout the message. But for our reading, we're going to focus here on verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. 
The pains of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God and heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him even to his ears. This is God's holy word. God, we just thank you this day. We thank you that whatever we are faced with, you're there with us. And whatever we're faced with in this life, you bring us through. God, we pray for each and every one that is here today that you would open our ears and help us to be attentive to your message. For those, God, who know you as Lord and Savior through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, God, that we would be encouraged today. Those who don't know you, we pray that we would be convicted and would call out this day, what must I do to be saved? Now, God, be with us throughout this service, and we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Up to this point in the book of Psalms, whenever we found a psalm that was written by David. Now, I I want us to understand when I say this... (sighs) The Psalms aren't in order. They're not in chronological order in which they were written. David wrote many Psalms, but, and most of his Psalms as they were written, at least up to this point, were Psalms where he was pleading for deliverance. He was facing enemies and he wanted God to come to his aid. However, when we get here in Psalm 18, David seems to be looking back on his life. And how God has given him victory after victory over his enemies. Psalm 18 is a praise-filled psalm of thanksgiving. It's a testimony of God's power and faithfulness. Take a look at the heading here in the psalm prior to the, to the verses. Whatever, whether you're in a King James translation or New King James translation, whatever the translation you may be using, Just look at that heading prior to actually verse 1. In the New King James, in my Bible, what it states is is to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this psalm on a day, or on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, what you'll find is a mirror to this psalm. In chapter 22, you'll find a version where there is a little difference in that version. Now, many scholars differ on what's taking place here. Some believe that if you look in, in second. If you look at 2 Samuel, you find the history and, and, and David's about to die. He's on his deathbed and he goes singing this psalm. And, and some believe even the psalm that was written here in, in the 18th psalm that, that David was, was on his deathbed when he wrote this. And he's just thinking back. But, but it appears to me that that may have been the case in the history. That may have been the case in, in 2 Samuel. But here in Psalm 18, it almost appears as if as if David has completed his battle. He's no longer running from Saul. And he writes this song. And he begins to sing this. Now, either way, whichever is correct, I, I, I don't know. We don't know for sure which one it is. 
What we learn from this psalm is that God is the reason that we're making it through our battles. Then we must thank him. I don't know what battle you're facing today, but you can rest assured there's a better day on the other side of that battle. And once you get to the other side, God's the one to thank. It ain't through your might. It ain't through your power. It ain't through your intelligence. It ain't through your ability. It's all because of the grace and mercy of God that we get to the other side. When we look in this passage, we find that David is wanting us to understand that, that God is worthy of our praise. When we look in these first three verses, we notice David speaking in the first person. He states here in the first phrase, I will love you. The Hebrew word that David uses for the word love is, is rachem. This, this is a form of a love that is very tender and it's, a, it's an extremely personal word. I, and I want to remind us here, here, David is saying, I will love you. And I'm so glad the scriptures has told us just how flawed we are. The scriptures has helped us to understand how this really works. You know, God has an unconditional love for you and I. But our love for him is unconditional. Our love for him is conditional. Because the Bible tells us, it reminds us in 1 John 4, 19. It says that we love him because he first loved us. And I want, to, I want you to know for David to cry out to God, I will love you. It's because he has his spirit the love of God throughout all of his life. God had proven time and time again to David that he loved him. In fact, David had gotten to this point in life. He was still alive. He was still well. He was still functioning. It was a testimony of God's love for him. God had rescued David over and over again from his enemies. And, and here David says, in response to God's work in his life is, I will love you. As a matter of fact, the commentator, John Phillips, he, stayed, he describes David's declaration of love as a surge of spiritual emotion that comes over the soul to the point where we wish we could just put our arms around the Lord. You hear the tenderness? It's like that of, of a father's compassion towards children or, or that of a mother's her, her love towards her children. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, he even paraphrased this first verse this way. He says, with a strong, hearty affection, I will cling to thee as a child to his parent or spouse to her husband. I wonder how many of us have lately just looked up to God and said, how I long to cling to you. God, you've been good to me. You've taken care of me in the midst of all my mess. You've provided for me what I couldn't provide for myself. And today, I just want to wrap my arms around you. I believe if we would do that, we would feel the presence of God a whole lot more. We're waiting for something to bubble up to make us run the aisles. But sometimes it needs to be something so close to where it's so tight to where we just feel him as if somebody else is holding us. And I believe that the God of glory will come down from heaven and he'll wrap his arms around us and draw us nigh unto him. 
If you don't believe the love that David had for his Lord's personal, just look at these first three verses and look at all the personal pronouns that David uses. He, uses, he, he declares in here, my, the Lord is my strength. He's my rock. He's my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength. He says the Lord is who I will trust. I will call upon. I will be saved from my enemies. He is letting us know that this is his God. And I want you to leave here today understanding this if you've never understood it before. God's just not only the God of Reedy Branch, but he's my God. He's your God. If you know him as Lord and Savior through Jesus Christ, then he is yours and yours alone. David had experienced so much of God's love that he was overcome with gratitude for where the Lord had brought him from. Listen, unsaved, you may be wondering today why we as Christians are so compelled to be expressive in our worship. You may wonder why it is that we get so excited about our God. You may wonder why we come week after week singing, preaching, teaching, and praising the Lord. I want to share with you exactly why we do it. It's because the words of the songs that we sing, the words of the scripture that we preach and teach, they remind us that God is why we've made it through. Folks, when we look over our lives, we can see that God is faithful. In the midst of of our struggles, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our opposition. He has loved us. He has taken care of us. He has given us a hope and assurance of an eternity spent with him. And for this, we ought to love him just as Jesus says in Mark 12 and 30 when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And for you who are far from God, Loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength is the beginning. It's just the beginning, but it begins with you surrendering your life to Jesus and making him Lord and Savior. Yes, here Paul or David, David reminds us of, in this psalm. That God's worthy of our praise. Why? Well, if you look there in verses 3, the second part of verse 3, down to verse 6, or actually, if you look in verses 7 through 15, you'll find that God's aware of our petitions. He's worthy to be praised because he's aware of all our petitions. Now, some of us will are going through things and we think, well, it's too small to concern God. with. Well, he knows it anyway. <laughs> he knows everything that's going on in your life. And I think he just wants us to recognize that he is our only help. No matter how small, no matter how big, we can't fix it in our own strength. But he can fix it if we call upon him. David becomes very well aware of this. When we read through the Psalm of David, we find examples of, of something vital for us to follow. Whenever David is facing opposition, he would call on the Lord. <laughs> he didn't call the pastor. <laughs> he didn't call his neighbor. He didn't call mama and daddy. He didn't call his spouse. He didn't call anybody. You know, David had four wives. He could have called any of them, but he called on the Lord. Yeah, this became routine in his life. And every time it was the Lord. 
The Lord came to his rescue and it saved him from his enemies. David learned that he could depend upon God. And because of the Lord's faithfulness, he was worthy to be praised to the highest. David declares in, in verse 3, his confidence that when he called upon the Lord, that the Lord would save him. You see that there in the last part of verse 3. So shall I be saved from my enemies. David understood that once he called on God, God come to his rescue. Whenever David was faced with death, whenever he was faced with surrounded evil, whenever David was physically, emotionally and, uh, drained, he called upon the Lord and the Lord heard David's cry. I want to remind us today that God will hear your cry. God is always aware of our petitions that we make to him. Anytime we find ourselves in situations where there's nothing that within ourselves that we can do to help ourselves, when we're feeling our most hopeless, we can call out to God and he hears us. I don't know about you, but that brings peace to me. It brings peace to me to know that God hears me when I call out to him. And Jesus promised us that he would leave us with this peace. In John 16 and 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In John 14 and 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, so let not your heart. Be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The good news, though, when we look through these verses, we find that God's not just aware. He doesn't just hear our petitions, but he responds to our petitions. David says that God has poured out his wrath on his enemies. If you look there in verses 7 through 15, David gets awfully graphic with the picture that he portrays. That, that, that just that tells how God has responded to his cry. In verse 7, David describes God's wrath as an earthquake so strong that it shook the, the mountains and their foundations. In verse 8, he describes, he describes God's wrath as an erupting volcano. In verses 9 through 12, God's wrath is described as a powerful angel coming out of heaven. In verses 12 through 14, we see God's wrath described as a violent storm. In verse 15, we see God's wrath as, uh, is that every Everything is exposed. There's nothing uncovered. The sea can't, uh, can't cover it up. The earth itself can't cover it up. That God has exposed all the wickedness upon the earth. David's description of the wrath of God poured out upon his enemies is so clear that we can rest assured he will not only hear our cry, but he'll answer by and by. The songwriter Horatio Spafford recorded these words, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let the blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and had shed his own blood for my soul. And because the writer understood this, the writer could continue to say, It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I pray that everyone in here can sing those same words and know that it is well with our soul. I want to tell you, when I leave this world, God has been with me in this world.
this world. God's going to take me out of this world and I'll be with God for all eternity. So whenever I leave this world, no matter how I go, you can know it is well with my soul. Yes. David. David reminds us. David reminds us here in this psalm that God is worthy of our praise. We need to wait. (laughs) But God's not only worthy of our praise, God's aware of our petitions. And he's aware of our petitions. And as a result of that, God takes pleasure in his children. Boy, that ought to comfort you. Somebody should have shouted right then. When you look in verses 16 through 19, you see just how much God takes pleasure in you and I. David describes God's reaching down from heaven and pulling him out of all his troubles and bringing him safe, bringing him to safety. So we have to ask why. Why would the Lord come to our rescue? Why would the Lord go to such extremes to rescue David from his enemies? David tells us in the last phrase, (laughs) I love this. He delivered me because he delighted in me. (laughs) Oh, to know that the Lord would delight in us. Listen, he doesn't say I had to get right. He doesn't say I had to clean up myself. He didn't say that the Lord done all of this because... He knew my heart. (laughs) He says, the Lord did all of this for me because he delighted in me. Aren't you glad God's got no respect to person? (laughs) I'm so glad to know that if he delighted in David, a man who committed premeditated murder so that he could steal the man's wife, you know how much time he had pulled today? God delighted in him. Psalm 149 and 4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. And when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we've received salvation. We're beautiful in the eyes of God. You may see me as dirty. You may see me as ugly. You may see me any way you want to, but God delights in me. And there's nothing that you can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. As a matter of fact, no matter how the world looks at you, he delights in you. Oh, to know that God delights in us. He loves us. He cares for us. Whether we realize it or not, you are important to God. So often we feel alone. So often we feel like we're in over our heads. So often I feel like I'm drowning in this world. But thanks be to God, he delights in us. So when we're facing trials and tribulations, when we're overwhelmed with temptation, when we're experiencing grief, heartache, depression, disappointment, when we're experiencing betrayal and abandonment, when we're experiencing physical, emotional, and spiritual problems, God will be with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will make a way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. Luke's gospel in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 4, he reminds us that the Lord cares deeply about us. That he would leave 90 and 9 safe and secure to come after one. When God sent his only begotten son to this earth, he sent him for one reason, to rescue us. While we who have trusted and believed in Jesus as our Savior, we have escaped the penalty of our sin, but we're still bothered by the presence and the power of sin. But soon and very soon, the Lord himself will descend with a shout, <laughs> with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Folks, God, God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise because he's aware of our petitions. And he's aware of our petitions because he takes pleasure in his children. We must be thankful that we serve a God who will bring us through whatever it is that we face. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that He died for our sins, and he arose on the third day. And then if you would confess him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart. And you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.